0: Hey guys, Pastor Jordan here. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And I want to say a special thanks to everyone who has given to the Legacy offering so far this year. We've been blown away by the generosity of our church. Just a reminder that you can give to the Legacy offering all the way through December 31st for your year-end giving. You can give online at harbor.church slash give or text an amount and the word Legacy to 844-467-1311. Thank you so much for your generosity. And thanks for listening. I love the Christmas season. It's my favorite time of year. Um, I've been celebrating hard. I have hardly any voice left for you this morning. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing season. And, and last week, if you were here, we talked through the story of Mary. And I love the stories kind of within the stories on Christmas. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to his son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he, will save his, or because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Pray one more time with me this morning. God, I just pray that you would speak through your word to us this morning. God, that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear today. And I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right before those verses is what is known as the genealogy of Jesus. And if you're not familiar with the scripture, uh, the genealogies in the scripture are are literally often just very long portions of scripture just saying where someone came from. It it will begin with so-and-so begat, if you're reading in the uh, King James, or so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, generation after generation, this person came from this person, that person came from that person, and it's just these long lists that quite honestly, when you're reading the scripture, it's really easy just to be like, I am going going to skip this Like this, I am not going to read this. There is no reason for me to know where all of these people came from. Get me to the story. But the genealogy of Jesus is a really interesting thing, because within that genealogy, there are people that should not be included in the birth of the Messiah. There are women included in that genealogy. There are thieves. There are liars. There are sinners in that genealogy. You would think if they're going to tell you the genealogy of Jesus, they would definitely sanitize it. They would make it as clean as possible. They would make it as clear as possible that that this Messiah comes from a clean background. He is fully clean. And yet they give us this genealogy that would include people, that people reading this in the ancient world would know who they were. They would know their stories. They would know that they don't belong in the lineage of the Savior of the world. And maybe some of you this morning feel like you don't belong in the story of the Savior of the world. And I think that the writer of the book of Matthew is making it clear to us that there is a place for all of us in the story of Jesus. That it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your story is, that there is still room for you in the story of Jesus, that there is still room for you in bringing about what God wants to bring about on the earth. And it's interesting because the genealogy ends with Joseph and the entire genealogy is really based on biology. All of the names listed are simply people who gave birth to and fathered the person to come after them, one after the other, after the other. And then we get to Joseph who we know biologically has no connection to Jesus but he has been chosen to be the father of Jesus. And so he's included in this genealogy, but he's included in the genealogy, but I think he often gets a little lost in the birth story itself. I don't know about you, but anytime someone has a baby, at some point you hear the birth story. Because usually a birth story is pretty dramatic. Like, it, 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 There's usually something involved in the story that kind of catches your eye. It's, it's, it's almost, quite honestly, an emergency situation that you just plan for the best you can. You don't know exactly when or how it's going to come. But, but there's something interesting about birth stories. And I, I think that, Joseph, the, the, the husband tends to get lost in the birth story, no matter whose story it is. Because at the end of the day, the wife... The woman is the hero of the birth story. The woman is the one who actually gives birth. So it makes sense that the man kind of gets lost in the birth story. And it's funny the stories that we choose to tell. Like When we tell our children's birth stories, Kristen really likes to tell Olivia's birth story. Because Olivia was born in just kind of a really fast fashion, and, and Kristen loved the process of giving birth to Olivia because she, she, at Olivia's birth, she didn't have any medication. She didn't have any help. She just got into the hospital and pushed that baby out, and she, and she just was ready to, like, take on the world right after she had her. I like to tell the birth story of Sophia because I delivered my child, Sophia, I literally delivered her, and, and it was an amazing story because Sophia is our second child, and we had our daughters at the same doctor, and so when we had Bella, we went through the whole process of being first-time parents, and then we were in the hospital waiting to have Sophia, and it had been a few hours, and my wife got to the point where it was like, okay, it's time to have this baby, and our midwife walked in, and she looked right at me, and I was sitting in the corner of the room, and she said, no kidding, she looked at me, and she said, you've seen this. Do you want to do it? And I was like shocked, I was like, do I wanna do what? And she's like, you've seen this, do you wanna deliver the baby? You've seen how it's done. And I was excited because I I did not realize that the qualifications for delivering a baby were having seen one child delivered. (laughs) I thought surely there was more training involved. I thought there was probably some schooling, but apparently it's like once you've seen one, you can deliver one. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it, thinking that, of course, she was going to actually deliver it, and I was just going to kind of assist in some way. But no, she walked me through literally delivering my child after seeing one birth. And so, of course, I love to tell that story because I feel a little bit like the hero of that story. I feel like a little bit of the center of that story. But that was one of those moments in my life where when she said, do you, you've seen this, do you want to do it? My gut reaction was no, because I'm like, there's so many things that I can mess up. You're hopefully much more qualified than me to do this. Like you should be the one doing it. But have you ever had the opportunity to do something that even though you felt a little in over your head, even though you really didn't want to do it, you just knew that in hindsight, you wanted to say that you were a part of it. I think this is probably a bit of the emotion that Joseph was feeling when the angel comes to him and says, listen, you're going to be a part of the birth of the savior of the world. Like to us, it probably seems like, well, of course he wants to be a part of this. Of course he wants to be involved in this. But I I think it's probably more likely that his gut reaction when he found out how all of this was going to take place was, I don't really know if I'm in for that. I got, I don't really know if I want to be a part of that. I, I don't really know if I want to start out my marriage with a child that everyone is going to be questioning where this child came from. I don't know if I want to start my marriage. I don't know if I want to start my life with this woman under that particular cloud of suspicion. And yet I love the story of Joseph because the story of Joseph is unique in the Bible. Because by the way, the birth of Jesus is one of the only births in scripture where a midwife is not mentioned When we hear the story of Moses, when we hear the story of various births in the Bible, somewhere in the story, their midwives play a role. But as you may know, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, there wasn't really time for a midwife. They weren't really in a place for a midwife. And so I think Joseph and I might have something in common, because I think if you deduce from Scripture who was present at the birth of Jesus, Joseph was probably pretty involved in delivering the Savior of the world. He was probably pretty involved in that moment. But interestingly, as such a central theme in the Christmas story, Joseph, the father of Jesus, the one chosen to be the father of the Messiah, he's one of the most prominent biblical characters in which we have no record of anything he ever said. There are no words of Joseph in the Bible, which means that we judge the life of Joseph simply by the choices that he made, simply by what he actually did. And I wonder what it would be like for us if our lives were judged by what we did, not what we said. I wonder what it would be like if our lives were judged by our level of obedience, not our level of knowledge. Like if our lives were actually looked back on, not on, oh, this is what they always said or this is what they always told me or this is how they always answered, but this is what they always did. I mean, Joseph, the father of Jesus, we don't know his words, but we know his significance. I think, I think we live in a culture that in some ways uh, kind of puts our words and what we say on a platform because everybody has a platform to put their words on. And so we think that they have this great weight and this great meaning when really a lot of people say a lot of things, but their lives don't line up with what they say. Joseph is this incredible example in scripture of someone who we know nothing of what he said, but we know much of what he did. We know much of his significance, and, and for some of you, maybe you feel like in your life your voice has been fought, small, or your voice has been silenced, or your voice has not had the impact that, that you would hope that it would have had, but can I tell you that your life in the end is what will speak for what you actually believed. When, when, when you actually leave this earth, what you leave behind will be what you did, not what you said. People will, for a time, remember what you said. But what you did will actually impact the future. What you did will actually have an effect on the future. And so the entire story of Joseph is just constructed simply by what he did and by the choices that he made. And that's true for all of us. Our our lives, our stories are constructed by the choices that we make. And it's interesting because we love to have options, but we don't really like to make choices. I don't know about you, but I, I love having options. I, I love having things that, that I could do or that I could say or where I could go. But then when it comes down to actually making the choices, things get a little difficult sometimes. And it's, it's interesting because the Christmas season in particular is full of choices. It's full of choices. In fact, I'm convinced that much of the stress and anxiety that comes from this Christmas season spawns from two things. One, the amount of choices that you have to make and the amount of time that you have to make them. I mean... The Christmas season is unique in that it doesn't move. Christmas is the same day every year, December 25th. And so you have the same amount of time every year to actually do the things that you need to do leading up to Christmas. Uh, Have you ever just looked at the date on the calendar and felt like, man, I'm not ready for Christmas. I have not done all the purchasing that I need to do. I have not done all the baking that I need to do. I'm not ready in the way that I need to be ready. And you can just say, well, like the year got away. This just got away from me, man. Christmas is creeping up on me. No, it's not it's the same day every year. It doesn't sneak up on you. No one comes to you and is like, hey, next Thursday is going to be Christmas. And you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get everything done. No, Christmas is December 25th every year. But somehow we have all of these traditions and all of these things that we have to do and we have to fit them into a finite amount of time. You cannot delay it. You cannot say like, you know what? We're going to do Christmas on the 30th this year. You can, but everybody will think you're psycho. Because Christmas is December 25th, and, and it comes from all of the choices that we have to make and the time that we have, and, and we are inundated with choices throughout this season. If you're on social media, this is the time of the year where people constantly post those this or that choices on Instagram and on Facebook and on, I don't know what people are doing on TikTok. They probably dance to these. I don't know. But, but they basically post these this or that, you know, gingerbread cookies or sugar cookies, opening your gifts on Christmas day or opening your Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, which, which is it, which is it? And you have to post it and you have to circle which one. I saw someone the other day that posted one and they just circled the whole picture, like all of it. I choose all of it. And that's kind of what Christmas is like. I, I, I'm just overwhelmed with choices. How could I possibly make the right choice? Does, does anybody else stress about choices? Like does anybody else just get anxiety about choices? Did you know that the average Human makes 35,000 choices a day. You made dozens and dozens of choices just to get into this building. You made a choice to get ready to come here. You made a choice about what you were going to wear. You made a choice about the way that you were going to come, where you were going to park, which way you were going to come in. You made tons of choices just to get in this room. And I don't know about you, but I get stressed about choices and so sometimes I delay choices. I don't want to make the choice, but I get very frustrated when other people delay choices. I get very frustrated when other people are indecisive. When other people are indecisive, I feel like I can just look at their life and be like, this is what you need to do. You need to make this choice and step forward and keep going. But then on my own life, I'm like, well, I don't know. Let's weigh the options. Let's think about it. You know, I sit with people sometime and they're like, my job is completely miserable and I hate it. And I have this opportunity and it's like my dream, you know, but it's like five $5,000 less a year. And then like, well, like, you know, you have a choice to make, like go to a job that you hate all of the time, or maybe step out and try something else. And inevitably, almost always, they don't make the choice. Because it's easier to just keep doing what you're doing. Not realizing that that's a choice. Like not making a choice is a choice. You've made a choice not to make a choice. And so our choices shape our lives, and what's often missed in the Christmas story is that Joseph was the very first person in human history who had the opportunity to choose Jesus. He's the very first person in human history that had the opportunity to choose Jesus. See, we know the story of Mary. Mary, an angel, comes to her and says, hey, you're with child. You're chosen. But Joseph had to choose to stay a part of the story. Joseph could have walked away the moment he found out Mary was pregnant, but Joseph could have decided, hey, this this isn't for me. I'm gonna distance myself from this. Joseph was the very first person who actually had to make the choice. See, I think if we had to choose, like Mary ultimately had the harder road physically of delivering a child, but when it comes to the initial part of the story, I think I want Mary's story. I think we all want Mary's story. We want the story where God chooses for us. We want the story where God comes down and says, Hey, this is the way that you're going to go. Now walk in it. This is the step that you're going to take. Now take it. We, we want God to come and speak to us and tell us the choice to make. But far more often we live in Joseph's story. Far more often we live in the story where we are responsible for the choices that God gives us an opportunity but we are responsible for the choice we make as to whether we are actually a part of that opportunity. We are responsible for the choices to make about whether we are actually in the vicinity of what God is doing. We would rather have God show us the way. We would rather him close every door he doesn't want us to walk through and open every door he wants us to walk through, but that's not the way our lives usually unfold. Generally, we have to make the choice to be involved in what God is inviting us to be involved of. But it's so much easier when God makes the decision for you. It's so much much easier when God comes down and says, this is what I want you to do. And there are moments in life where it feels as if it's as clear as a voice speaking to you, saying, hey, this is what you need to do. Those are incredible moments, but they are the minority in your life. Most of your life, will be spent simply making choices. Joseph didn't just have to make one choice. As with all choices, once Joseph made the big choice of staying with Mary, it became a marathon of choices. Have you ever made a big choice in your life that led to just choice after choice after choice after choice after choice? Have you ever built a new home where you decided to build the house, but then they come to you and you have to decide every single knob, every single door, every single everything you want in the house? The the biggest choices that we make in our lives lead to more choices. And so the ability to make good choices is huge in our lives. See, I, I think... A lot of us like to say yes to the big choice of salvation. A lot of us like to say yes to the invitation to eternal life, but we don't like to say yes to all of the choices after. We don't like to say yes to to everything that God has along the way. And so we live our lives not making the choices that the big choice should lead us to. See in, In verse 19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her publicly to disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, we look at that and we think, what a lousy guy. His wife is pregnant. He's going to walk out on her. We have to understand that at this moment, no no angel has appeared to Joseph at this point. At this point, all Joseph knows is what Mary has told him. And quite honestly, if you were hearing this story for the first time, it's a very unlikely story. That she would come to him and say, Joseph, I want you to know, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. It's from God. I mean, this had never happened in human history before. And so Joseph really had no reason to believe her. And so we know actually that he probably did not believe her in this moment because his first instinct was to divorce her quietly. But isn't it interesting that that he did not want to bring any disgrace upon Mary? It's almost as if even when he didn't believe her, he was still trying to make the right choice for her. Even when he didn't understand her story, he was still trying to make the right choice for her. He's actually still trying to protect Mary, even when he doesn't understand or believe her story. And I think in our own lives, we're, we're not quick to protect people that we don't understand or believe. We're not quick to guard people that we don't understand or believe. in yet Joseph, in this moment, he was. See, the moment that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he, he could have taken her to the religious rulers. He could have taken her to the religious rulers and have her stoned. But he chose to walk out the story with her. He chose to protect her. And, and I wonder sometimes what compels someone to just seemingly constantly make the right decisions. Because when you follow the story of the birth of Jesus, Joseph is constantly having to make decisions and it, seemingly he makes the right decisions. And when we look at his life, I, th- I think there are some things in his life that point to the ways that he made those decisions. Again, verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, he was a righteous man. See, the, the first thing that I think we see in Joseph's life that, that guides his decision-making and something that can help us as we guide our decision-making is that Joseph was a man of character. Joseph was a man of character. He was a righteous Man, see, character guides your decisions when you can't trust your emotions. Character guides your decisions when you can't trust your emotions. See, the emotional decision in this moment for Joseph would have been to walk away from this story. The emotional decision in this moment would have been, I have been betrayed. I have been cheated on. I'm probably being lied to. I am out. That would be the emotional decision. And I wonder how often our emotional decisions disconnect us from the story that God has for us. Joseph could have walked away in that moment and chosen not to be a part of the story that God had for him. He could have chosen not to be the father of the Messiah. He could have walked out in that moment. And yet Joseph chose to stay. Joseph chose to be with her because he did not let his decisions be guided by his emotions. He allowed his decisions to be guided by his character. See, character does something interesting. Character actually gives you the answer before you know the question it gives you the answer before you know the question because character shapes who you are and what you do flows out of who you are so if you can get who you are right your decisions will stem from who you are and not just your emotions see choosing what to do is easy when you've already chosen who you are it's easier it's not easy but but it's easier When you've already chosen who you are, psychologists did a national study on people who were trying to to quit smoking. They did a study on people who were trying to quit smoking, and they tracked their progress, and it was a massive pool of people that they followed, and they, they broke them into two groups. They broke them into one group who they said, every time someone asks you if you would like a cigarette, say, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit. And they took the other group, and they said, every time someone offers you a cigarette, say, no, thank you, I am not a smoker. And the group that said, I am not a smoker was exponentially more successful at stopping smoking than the group that said, I'm trying to quit. Because there is a big difference in trying not to do something and being someone. See, I am not a smoker is a solution that is rooted in identity. You, You are saying, no, I'm denying that not because I'm trying not to, but because I am not the kind of person who smokes. And and see, this is why identity is so important and why identity is something that we constantly return to. They actually referred to this in the study. They said that that people were more more successful at quitting smoking if they established a non-smoker identity. That they're actually more successful if they established a non-smoker identity. See, this is why so often sin management and trying hard not to do certain things doesn't yield any fruit in your life. Because you can try not to do things as much as you want, but your identity in Christ is what's meant to guide you in the decisions that you make. That it's not about me trying not to do something. It's about who I am in Christ. That I don't not do those things because I don't want to or I want to try not to. I don't do those things because of who I am. I don't do those things because I know my identity. We have three girls and for those of you that don't know, and, and two of them are, are in school. One of them is in middle school and one of them is in elementary. And for the last several years, right as we've sent them out the door for school, we've been doing this thing where it seems kind of silly, but one of us, as they're walking out the door, Kristen or I, the last thing we say to them is we'll say, who are you? And they both say, in unison, sounds kind of cultish, but it's not. <laughs> they both say, I am a woman made in God's image. I'm a child of God. I'm the daughter of Jordan and Kristen Rippey. And we say, have a great day. And the reason we do this every single day is because I cannot predict the choices they will have to make throughout the day. But I can do everything that I can to make sure that they make those choices out of an identity of who they are. That that when someone comes to them in school and offers them an opportunity to do something that is not in line with their identity, they don't have to question whether or not they should do that thing because they know who they are. Because they can look and say, no, I, I don't do that kind of thing because I'm a woman made in God's image. I'm a child of God, and I'm the daughter of Jordan and Kristen Rippey. There's so much identity crisis in the world today, and it's 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 simple enough just for them to know who they are. I am a woman made in God's image, and because I'm made in God's image, I don't have to do that. When someone says to them, "Hey, you know, nobody likes you. You don't belong." Well, they started their day saying, I'm a child of God and I'm the daughter of Jordan and Kristen Rippey. They started their day knowing that they belong in the family of God and they belong in our family, that they already belong somewhere. See, you make decisions differently when you understand your identity and you understand who and where you belong. You make decisions differently when you understand that you belong in the house of God and to the family of God, that you have an actual identity. That you are somebody because of what Jesus did in the Christmas story. See, this is why the enemy attacks identity so strongly. This is why there is a war on identity in our culture and in our lives today. Because the decisions that you make and the life that you live flow out of your identity. The more confusion there can be, the more misunderstanding there can be, the, the, the more uncertainty there can be amongst your identity, the more likely you are to fall away from the life that God has for you the more likely you are to make decisions that are counter to the life that God has for you. See, when you've decided what kind of person you are, many of the decisions that come your way, they're already made for you. They're already made for you. When a decision comes your way to be unfaithful, you say, no, I'm a faithful person. I don't have to make this decision. When a decision comes your way to be disloyal or to tear someone down, you say, no, I'm not that kind of person. It's not a matter of whether or not I want to do that kind of thing. I am not the kind of person that does that because my identity is already set. Last year, my older two daughters were in their school play and they were in Aladdin and they loved that. And um, They were in the play and, and we went to drop them off for the play And, uh, they wouldn't let people in until like right before to get their seats and to get ready and all that kind of stuff. And so I was in the parking lot waiting and I was sitting out there and I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting and, and, um, I was waiting for them to come in and I was waiting for the girls and there was like 15 minutes and I was like, when are they going to open these doors? And then finally Kristen texted me and she said, Hey, listen, uh, they let me in earlier to, to give something to Bella. And, uh, so I already have a seat for you. Like, I've already saved a place for you. I've already got a spot for you. And this was good because then as things unfolded, I actually found out that I was waiting at the wrong door. And I was thinking, like, I'm going to be fine. Like, there's plenty of spaces here. And then I went around to the front and I realized, oh, there's a massive line of people. And so I got in the back of that line, I got in the back of that line, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I went in, and of course, all the front seats, all the prime spots began to fill up, but I walked right up to the seat that was saved for me. And see, this is what character does. Character saves a spot for you. Character holds a place for you. See, Joseph's character already sealed his place in the story of the life of Jesus, That when God started to unfold his plan for humanity, he could look on the life of Joseph and say, listen, his character is already such that he can be a part of this. His place is secure in this moment. His place is secure in this story. We have to know our character to guide our decisions. Number two, we have to know our purpose. You have to know your why. You have to know your purpose. As Joseph is trying and fighting these decisions and not sure which way to go in his decision-making. Notice what the angel of the Lord says to him in verse 20 and 21. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, the angel gives Joseph the purpose for what he's about to walk through. There's a because in the story that that this is what's going to unfold. This is what's going to happen. This is what you are going to be a part of, but this is why. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jace, Joseph began where we begin. Joseph began trying to make the decision based on his circumstances. He said, I see the circumstances of this pregnant wife who I'm pledged to be married to, that I've committed my life to. I see my circumstances, and so I'm going to make the decision just to divorce her quietly. I'm going to make the decision just to divorce her quietly, and, and yet... He makes the decision based on circumstances at first, but decisions based on circumstances guide you often to the easiest choice, but decisions based on purpose will lead you to the right choice. It may not be the easiest choice, but it would be the right choice. See, in this moment for for Joseph, divorcing Mary probably would have been the easiest choice. Divorce would have been easier. Honestly, that could be the tagline for a lot of marriages, divorce would have been easier it would have been easier just to walk away it would have been easier just to say you know what this isn't worth it it would have been easier just to say this is too difficult it would have been easier to say we we can't we can't work it out we can't make it happen and yet proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 says many are the plans in a man's heart but the lord's purpose prevails the purpose will always prevail over your plans God's purpose will always prevail over your plan. See, we make plans, but God has a purpose. And we need to trust God's purpose over our plan. See, some of you are are facing health issues, relationship issues, family complications, things that you didn't plan for. Circumstances that you would have never planned for, that you could never plan for. And the only way to walk through circumstances you didn't plan for is to know that you have a purpose. It's to know that you have a purpose. And you need to know that not only are some of the circumstances that you walk through things that you didn't plan for, some of the circumstances that you walk through are things that God didn't plan for your life. Like, listen, we believe that that God is sovereign, that God knows all, but we, we live in a fallen world in which we have free will which means that there are people that make choices. There are things that happen that, that were not part of God's plan. There's pain that you walk through that that God would not have planned for you to walk through. But the Bible tells us that, that God can work all things together for good for his purpose. That God can take things that you didn't plan. God can take things that maybe weren't even in his plan and that he can work them together for his purpose. That he can redeem anything for his purpose god takes things and redeems them for his purpose see when when things got tough for joseph when joseph was like why am i the one walking through this why am i the one on the run for my life why am i the one dealing with all this hardship he had purpose to hold on to why because this child will save his people from their sins There is a purpose behind all of this pain. And finally, the last thing that that guided Joseph's decisions that I believe guides our decisions is sacrifice. Knowing what it takes. Knowing what it takes to be a part of what God has for us. I love verse 22 in Matthew because in the book of Luke, we have kind of the most detailed account of Jesus' birth. We hear almost from every different player in the story and we kind of hear every every thought, everything that was said, every place that everyone went and Matthew's comparatively is is pretty condensed. And have you ever heard somebody tell a story and like you know the whole story? Like you know all of the details of the story, you know all of the crazy things of the story and then someone tells the story and you're like that's it. Like that's that's all you're going to say, that's all you're going to tell of the story. There's so much more to this story and that's sort of the sentiment that I feel with the verse 22 in the book of Matthew because it just says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us all this took place what is all this what took place what all took place it wasn't just Jesus's birth All of this took place all of the shame and uncertainty that mary and joseph felt walking through this season all of this all of this do you realize they had to travel 95 miles for a census have you ever been if if you've ever had a pregnant wife like telling her that you're gonna have to travel 95 miles by like donkey at the end of her pregnancy is not a conversation i would want to have babe we have to travel 95 miles on a donkey because the government wants to count you. It's not a great position to be in. It's not a great position to be in. And then people start showing up at the manger and, and you know we talk about how the three wise men, we talk about all these people, how they brought them gifts and how they brought things to them. They also brought them the news that somebody wanted to kill them. Like We, we sometimes overlook the drama in this story. It's like, oh, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh and a murderous threat that a nation's ruler wanted them dead. Like there was a lot of stress involved in this moment and then they were on the run for what most theologians and most people who study scripture think was three to five years. They were on the run after Jesus was born. We think of it as this moment in this manger, this silent night. No one who's witnessed a birth would call it a silent night. All of this, all of this took place so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. It delivered a baby in a cave for sheep so the prophecy could be fulfilled. All of this, all of the sacrifice, all of the uncertainty, all of the questioning, all of this took place. See, there is a cost to being close to what God wants to do. There is a cost. There is a cost to being close to what God wants to do in the earth and in your life. See, Joseph had to pay a price to be close. He could have walked away at the beginning of the story. He had to make the choice to be close in that moment. You know, I find it fascinating that that Joseph Joseph could have chosen not to be Jesus's father, and Jesus still would have been his savior. And you can choose to have Jesus as your savior and not be a part of the plan that He has for you. I, I think too many Christians actually live life that way. That we say, yeah, I'll say yes to this salvation piece. I'll say yes to this eternal life piece. But I don't want to make the sacrifice that I have to make to be close to what you're doing. I don't want to make the sacrifice to actually have to be present for what you are doing. But no matter how hard you try, you will never make a life for yourself that is more significant than the life that God has for you. You will never make a life for yourself that has more meaning than the life that God is inviting you into. See, the yes of salvation, the yes of salvation is that big choice that brings a bunch of little choices. It's the big choice that says my yes to you is my yes to you, not just in salvation, not just at the beginning, but it's a yes to you every single day. See, salvation forms your character. It defines who you are as a child of God. It gives you purpose as a child of God to carry out the work of God in your life. And salvation shows you the model of sacrifice that is needed because Jesus gave his life. See, I think if you really, Examine the story of Joseph. It's an early salvation story. It's one of the first humans to say, I will put my trust completely in this story of Jesus. I'll put my trust completely in this story of Jesus. I'll submit my life completely to this story of Jesus. I I will make this story of Jesus the purpose of my life. And I will sacrifice my life for this story of Jesus. Jesus. See, as we navigate this Christmas season and as we navigate our lives, we need to realize that ultimately the story of Jesus is a salvation story. It's a story that he came to earth, not just as a baby so that we could celebrate once a year and so that we could be generous once a year, but he came to earth to save us. And that salvation is a choice that we have to make And that living in the center of God's will is a choice that we have to continue to make over and over and over and over. Even when your salvation is secure, your spot in the plan that God has for your life is a choice you have to make every day based out of that identity, based out of knowing who you are, based out of knowing what he's called you to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?